Hi everybody and welcome to American Scuttlebutt. Today we have our third episode uh, going over the EOC for U.S. history. Today we'll be doing a few things. One will be telling a story of the time period of industrialization. We'll be going over our history crush and we'll have our famous EOC Florida Fru-Fru for today. Um, again, you can follow us on uh, Edsby. If you got an Edsby, <laughs> you could do that. Um, we're downloading here pretty soon and uh, coming at you with an episode four pretty soon. But before we get too far, we've got Ms. Velasquez. Ms. Velasquez, how are you doing today? I'm excellent. How are you, Mr. D? Doing very well. And today, what will you be bringing us for our story for industrialization? Today, I'm telling you about... Uh, Andrew Carnegie, the story of Carnegie, one of the most famous entrepreneurs from the period. Uh, we're going to be talking about a couple of keywords: new immigrants, industrialization, robber barons, the Bessemer process, gospel of wealth, social Darwinism, all kinds of things. Wow, lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. Key stuff. Yeah. Um, so let's get started. Andrew Carnegie was born on November 25th, 1835 in Scotland. So he might be considered a, an old immigrant. He would be an old immigrant because what are old immigrants? Immigrants who have not come new newer. <laughs> <laughs> These are immigrants uh, uh, from the um, first wave of immigration would mm -hmm. be old immigrants. So that would be like 1820s, uh, 40s, 40s, right? Irish and German. We typically yeah. Think of them. Yeah, so he's an old immigrant, and new immigrants are going to be, like, the type of people he'll employ when he's older and has his factories. Those people are coming from southern and eastern U Europe, primarily. But he's the wave of old immigrants coming in from Scotland. Um, his father was a weaver, which was not a very successful business in Scotland, or probably <laughs> anywhere. Because this is, I mean, we had the first industrial revolution at this point. And his right. dad, his father's a hand weaver. Like, oh, okay. strings and threads by hand to weave things. Right, and he can't keep up with industrialization of a lot of people doing right. this job, and some being maybe mechanized in some small way. Yeah, and his whole, I mean, the whole family's struggling the country is struggling so they pack up and they decide to move to pennsylvania here in the good old united states in um, 1848 the melting pot of america pennsylvania yes pennsylvania um 1848 so how old was he he was 13 when sure. he moved um so he and his family are going to continue to struggle but andrew and his father are going to get jobs at a cotton mill Mind you, he's 13. He works 12 hours a day, six days a week mm -hmm. at this job. Um, so I don't think he's in school. He's mostly self-taught. But he loves books, and he uh, has a lot of company, people in the company who offer him books and are like, here, kid, you can read this stuff if you want to when yeah. you go home. And so that's how he learns things. Um, he's going to have a couple of jobs in his teenage years. But in 1853, he's accepted as a telegraph operator uh, at the Pennsylvania Railroad Company. And this is going to open a lot of doors for him because he's going to work his way up to the very, very top of the company and start making a lot of money, which is good because that's where he's going to be able to make his investments. Sounds like the American dream. It is the American dream. Um, he's really, he's known for being very good at remembering people, remembering people's faces, especially important people. You know, if you were nobody, he might forget who you were. Right. But if you were important, he'd remember your face, he'd remember your name. Remember, he, he, a detail about detail. you. He you forget know. us, but... Yeah, we're the little people. Right. But he's he starts off at the bottom of the company, you know, just reading telegraphs. And he was um, well-liked because he had memorized... Do you know how telegrams work? 
with I the think like so. the tapping sounds. Yeah, tap Morse code. Yeah. Yeah. He had Dot memorized dash. it, like the sounds. Okay. He didn't even have to like read it, the dashes on a paper, right. and like translate it. The sound coming in. He he could just transcribe it right away. Right. He could just hear the. Tap, 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 right. tap. SOS. Right. And dot, he, dot, dot, dash, 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 dot, dot, dot. Just from sound. He didn't even have to look at the dot, dot, dash. He just knew immediately. So he moves up super quick through the company. Um, but this is where he's going to make his first investments in railroad companies after he moves up a couple times um, as a young man. But everything changes during the Civil War. What year is the Civil War? 1860. Yes. 18... Well, 1861, I was going to say. <laughs> 1860. Lincoln's elected in 1860. Yay. There we go. 1861. Um, so during the Civil War, he becomes the superintendent of the military railways um, and the Union government's telegraph lines. Sounds very official and important. It is official. So basically, he's in charge of making sure all the railroads for the North get to where they're supposed to be. They bring all the supplies. Oh, very important, yeah. All the communication between the union and the government, he's in charge of making sure this all goes through. Again, he's important and he's making more money. That's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, iron is going to be needed for the war, so we have a lot of investment in that. And, of course, after the war, he starts investing more of his money in iron rather than uh, railroad companies, as he had done before. So... Iron is important, because what are you going to do with iron, Mr. D? You're going to make more railroads. You're going to make it into steel, maybe. Steel. Oh, the Bessemer process. Yay, Bessemer process. The Bessemer (laughs) process is super scientific, but... um, You add magnesium. Yes. I don't know. That's all I know. (laughs) Sir Henry Bessemer, basically it makes it cheaper and easier to turn iron into steel. Yeah. That's the gist of it. Steel's the key, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and steel's good because it, it's lightweight and it's tough and it's a good building material. It won't rust. It can bend if it, you build something tall. Right, like a skyscraper. Oh, yes. They're not using it for that yet. Not yet. Um, but he gets invested into this, and so he's going to open the Carnegie Steel uh, Company in 1892 using mostly vertical integration. Oh, right, vertical integration. Ooh. Up and down. Up and down. Meaning? He owns everything to build that product so he owns the coal that they're going to use right. he's going to use he owns the transportation like the railroads that are going to transport right. his steel once it becomes steel he has um the factories the mines all the materials needed he's going to own those um so he's successful so the more he invests the more mon- money he's making off of this because right. steel is necessary for the industrial revolution so by the time carnegie is done i guess with his life at the end um, his net worth in twenty fourteen dollars. Are you ready? Oh, uh, wait, you're you're looking at my. Look, I didn't okay. look at it. I didn't look. I, I would get in twenty fourteen's money. So how like much the is he worth? richest person right now is like Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to you know date us right now on the on the podcast. Um, he's like worth I don't know fifty billion. I'm gonna say Carnegie's three hundred and seventy five billion dollars. Stop. He's $372 billion. <laughs> I got it. You're such yeah. a cheater. Oh, well, my gosh. Really no, maybe you're the such a cheater. You know. Oh, my gosh. Maybe that's what it is. Whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a lot of money. $372 billion. Can you imagine what you would do with that money? What, what would I do? I would I would keep teaching, of course. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would buy all my students fives on the AP exam. <laughs> bribe every <laughs> I would, reader. I would bribe all the readers, exactly. Interesting. They don't need it because we're such great teachers. They would be great. They would do awesome. 
Yeah. All of them. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, great. This has been great. I'm not done. Oh, I'm no. not done. You, that's not where it ends. Wait, there's more? <laughs> there's more. Um, so he's worth a lot of money. By the way, he's yeah. five foot three. Aww, I love like, this fact. Like you're taller than him. No, I'm five foot three. Oh. For those of you who know what I look like, this little guy's walking around at my height. For those of you which that is kind of sad. Just take like two like sacks of sugar Stop. and put them on top of each other. That's about your height. That's not true. Right. You're but, sweet. Uh, wow. Oh my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> JPL. Okay. Anyway. Um, he does get into, I mean, at this point, he becomes one of those big entrepreneurs. He's up there with Rockefeller and J.P. Morgan right. and Vanderbilt, those robber barons we talk about. Ooh, Ooh robber, robber baron. baron. Is yeah. that a good thing or a bad thing to be robber I baron? think that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. Um, yeah, that's kind of like a, a bad name. Why are they called robber barons? Um, there's, it goes back to English history. Two were like barons, a landowner, yes. someone who's taking the land. So someone who's uh, using their influence, maybe with the king, or maybe with their uh, military might or whatever, to to take others' land um, unethically. Yes. Perhaps? And the thing about them is they they would sometimes use unfair practices. Like Rockefeller was known for his prices. He'd raise his prices and then lower them, stomp out the competition. So they weren't always nice guys. I think Carnegie's probably the nicest of them all. In the end. I mean, yeah. In, you know, survival of the fittest. Right. And uh, Social, Darwinism, Social Darwinism, one of the words I brought up. Exactly. Uh, but he, I mean, he gets into trouble too. The Homestead Strike of 1892, yes. one of the biggest labor strikes in American history. He's actually not there for that. Like he's really? in Scotland when this is occurring. Like vacationing? Highlands I don't know, going to see family, the the little house he lived in when Aww. his dad was a weaver. I don't know. I made that up. Um, but yeah, the homestead strike. Uh, people dying there. Like, workers going on strike, people getting shot. I mean, it's pretty violent. Yeah, they all, they all lose, don't they lose their job? Yes. Back? It, I mean, and, and the manager, he told, I mean, his particip participation in it was very limited, but he told the manager there, yeah, do what you got to do to get them to stop striking or to, to prevent this or stop this from happening. And, and there's no labor organization as far as, like, uh, working with the government. The government's not worried about it because they've got laissez-faire. Right. They're hands-off at this time period. Yeah, and so that's kind of a stain on his legacy is this huge strike that takes place at one of his steel mills. Um, but by the time he's 65 years old, he chooses to... to sorry chooses to sell that's what i was trying to say yeah. chooses to sell his company to jp morgan right the, the monopolist of bankers yes yeah. um chooses to sell it to him and then he's going to start using that money for his donations that we know him for today as a philanthropist or someone who gives away a lot of money to right. different causes um he's super into libraries which kind of makes sense if you go back to his history where he's kind of self-taught and like the the company owner, you know, his boss gave him some books to read. Yeah, so he's really into books and educating other people. Um, and in 1889, he writes the famous essay titled Wealth. Right. Where he argues that the rich people have a responsibility to support those with less money. To give them the opportunity to do the same thing. Right, because he is, like, he's different than Rockefeller. I mean, Rockefeller wasn't super rich to begin with either. But right. Carnegie's an immigrant. Like, he literally started from nothing right. and built his way up. So I think he has a little bit more of an appreciation for 
people who have to work hard for that. And he gives away almost all of his fortune right. in the end. He gives away all his money to charities. Um, and he dies at the age of 83. And he says in that essay he wrote, the man who dies rich dies disgraced. Yeah, you put it, I mean, you know, I think he, he leaves some of his money to his does. kids. Kid. Um, kid. He only had one? He had a daughter. Oh, wow. And so none of them, none of his descendants now bear the Carnegie, the Carnegie name, name sure. which they said has kind of helped. I looked this up. They said it's kind of helped them, like, blend into society. Sure. You know, like, you don't want to be a Rockefeller or Vanderbilt. Everybody knows right. who you are. Um, he left them enough to be comfortable, but they still have to work. Like, they're, from what I've read, they're like lawyers and doctors. You know, yeah. high up professionals, sure. but um, they were comfortable. He didn't leave them enough to where they never had to work because he wanted his children and grandchildren to work. Like, he had to work. Right. He appreciates the that. The self-made man, the idea of the self-made man or self-made woman from, uh, you know, that's going to come from this in the in, when we get into the 20s and uh, into the 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, Carnegie. Now we know more about Carnegie. He lived a life. You know, I usually just think car, cars made out of steel, Carnegie, yeah. right? But there's more to it than just that. Yes. Thank you so much, Ms. Velasquez. No problemo. Oh, <laughs> is that a hint of what's coming My up Espanol. next? My Espanol. Is that a hint of what's coming up next time? Maybe more immigration? Oh, maybe, yeah. Oh, we'll see. Progressive era. <laughs> Look out. Oh, uh, until next time, ladies and gentlemen. Yep, uh, it's I'm, time for History Crush. History Crush. I, I'm Mr. D. And I'm Miss V. All right, bye. Toodles. It's time for History Crush, where Mr. D is going to give me three clues about his history crush from this period, the Gilded Age period, industrialism. Um, and I have to guess within those three guesses, within those three clues. Three or, clues. Or else I, I lose. You lose. Yeah. Right, you lose, and everybody will know you lose. But you're a you loser. Know, you're a loser, but... <laughs> You've been pretty much a winner on this, haven't you? I mean, I've only done it once, so, one, so you're yes. undefeated. One for one. One for one, undefeated. <laughs> I mean, how many guesses were the other ones? Probably two. I mean, I'm saying uh, I, got, I got it on the last one. Last one. I got mine in the first one. Well, yeah, we can't all be. So I'm a better winner. Are we really going to do this no. right now? <laughs> no, no, we're not. You're right. You're right. Let's go ahead and uh, get the first. Now, you know, I like context, Miss Velasquez. I like mm -hmm. years mm -hmm. and knowing when a person was born and then when they died. Great. I'm fascinated by this in history. So we've got this person was born 1857. So they're just a youngin during this uh, Gilded Age I, period. I guess. Yeah, the Gilded Age. We're talking 1880s, 90s. Yeah. Okay. 1910-ish, right? Born 1857, died 1944. Wow, that's a long life. It seems like it, right? That's I, I'm not going to do the math. Is that their late 80s? 57 to 44. 57 to 44. Sure. Sure. 80s-ish. <laughs> Not, I mean, you know, lived a full life, let's say. Yes. This person. Who was the president in 1857? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I knew you were going to do this to me. Uh, not Lincoln. James Buchanan, right. Yeah. The one before that. So Buchanan is president. Uh, we covered this in the 1850 round, right? Who's president? This <laughs> might be a trick question, but it's not. 1944, who's president? FDR? Right, FDR. So right. that's a big, like, James Buchanan when I was born. Yeah. FDR when I died. That's wow. crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Big lifespan. Um, that's not the clue, okay? Okay, great. <laughs> Thanks. The clue is, this person's father built wooden 
oil storage tanks in Pennsylvania. Why would that? Be, <laughs> why would that be anything that right. I right? Ask yourself why. Sometimes we just have to ask ourselves why. So this has to do with oil. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, the whole time period kind of has to do with oil, right? Can you repeat? This? I sure can. Please. This person's father built wooden oil storage tanks in Pennsylvania. Every single part of that, except for father, is important. Well, maybe father's important. It doesn't matter if it's father or mother, but the father built wooden oil storage tanks in Pennsylvania. Hmm. Okay. Okay, you're, you're, you want to talk it out? You want to go for well, the second clue? Well, I... When you say oil, I immediately think standard oil, and I think of Rockefeller. Right. But he's far too old okay. to be in this period. Right. Or to be born in 1857. I hear you. It's, that would be true. All of that is true. Right. Um, I think I need a next clue. That's fine. All right. You're good at this. Sometimes, you know, you're good at this. Second clue. Due to unfair business tactics of the railroad and oil industry, Uh-oh. the father was put out of business. And I will add, not that you need this, but for our listeners, this is pretty ironic. The father was put out of business because of these robber barons. These unfair business practices by the robber Uh, barons of railroad and oil. The father's business, out of business. No more business. Is this going to influence this person's... Is it... I I can't ask you a question. Is this going to influence this person's... um, like political perspectives? Probably. Probably. Not that they were... I don't want to give away any more information. Uh, are they <laughs> anti-big business like this, this person? Are you allowed to ask these questions? I know, not at all. <laughs> Is that how the rules Okay, because I'm thinking like of people who... Are anti Who are anti-railroad. Right. I'm thinking of like William Jennings Bryan and... Right. And, and like... Other non-politicians that also brought to light these like issues. Jacob Reese, like Jacob Reese, which is a little early, but ironically, like Upton Sinclair, like Upton Sinclair, like Ida Tarbell. That's it, Ida Tarbell. <laughs> yes, you got it. Yes. <laughs> Great job. See, so you 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 only really the first one, right? Is good, right? Yeah, but. Father built wooden oil storage tanks in Pennsylvania. But that wouldn't tell me that she was a muckraker and wrote about Right. If I said ironically, then maybe. Right? Because it's interesting yes. that her father did this and then was out of business. And then she's going to go and investigate right. the Standard Oil Company. Right? So you know that question I was going to ask you? I was going to ask you if it was a man or a woman. Yeah, I didn't want to give it away. I was trying not to yeah, give that Yeah, and away. I stopped myself because I knew that wouldn't be fair. But yeah. I did assume it was a man. Interesting. Yeah. So That's why I went the other route and picked a female. There you go. What's the... Uh, the third one? Yeah. Um, the third one was, wrote the history of Standard Oil. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, See, then I would have gotten it, one. yeah. Um, but they were, I was going to say, I was going to leave out that part and say, they're collected works, because it was in McClure's magazine, mm-hmm. all these writings. And in 1904, they put all the works together, uh, criticizing the business practices of, of Rockefeller. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, I found out about Ida Tarbell's life, that... Right after this, she becomes pretty famous from this. Uh, in the early 19... After the book comes out, early 1900s, like 1910, 1911, 12, she is... Um, she's an older woman, you know? Not mu- not much older. She must have been about... 50, 60. 50, 60. But old enough where the younger women 
a part of this, you know, the women's rights movement, the right to for uh, uh, suffrage. Suffrage. Um, they start criticizing her, like they see her as the old guard, right? You know, taking down business. Like she she doesn't because Ida Tarbell starts saying things like um, that women should uh, maybe have like less. Uh, Less time away from the home, more time with their kids, right? That kind of thing. Uh, Helen Keller criticizes her. Ooh. Helen Keller is pretty. Helen Keller is very outspoken. She's... For those of you who don't know, <laughs> she's very outspoken. Yeah, but uh, she she calls her old and uh, not with the times. Dang. Yeah, uh, but that... she was like a revolutionary for her time. For sure, her, you know, kind of exposing John D. Rockefeller and all his yeah. practices. Yeah, she was. I, I think the, the younger generation just kind of needed to re remember that. They don't appreciate her. They don't. That's why we're here to appreciate her uh, and Helen Keller and uh, and say congratulations, Ms. Velasquez. You got Woo! it in two clues. Good job. Yay. Your prize? Nothing. Nothing. But we help people with their EOC needs here today. That's on enough for me. History Crush. That's all you need. That's right. Next up, Florida Fru Fru. Florida Fru Fru. Get ready to go Fru Fru. Fru Fru. <laughs> All right. We're, we're back here, Ms. Velasquez. We're here for the next part. Florida and that Fru -fru. is that's the extra part, right? The mm -hmm. part where we add a little bit at the end. Florida history. Super and, important. And we use some, you know, Florida spices here to add. What's a Florida spice? Mango? Sweat. Sweat. Alligators. Alligators and um, uh, desperation, I was going to say. Oh, okay. It's that spice of desperation in, in those people who don't have air conditioning. Anyway, um, we're talking here extra. 1885, Ybor City is founded. Oh, Ybor. Ybor, right? Fun, historic capital. Known, known for what? Um, clubbing. <laughs> clubbing? I don't know what that means. Um, like Drag shows. Sure. Drinking. Drink, yes. All those bad, naughty things. But also, the cigar capital of the world. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's founding. A um, couple of little things about Ebor. We're going to use Ebor to talk about the industrialization. It is a small, it's a company town. You know, that's part of the reason why we're adding it as a frou-frou, an extra. It's a company town where one town has a focus of, you know, business. And this business was cigar making. And surrounding the cigar making, you're going to get other services. You're going to get barbershops. You're going to get restaurants. You're going to get um, mutual aid societies. You know, they didn't have healthcare, but they had kind of a version of healthcare where all the different ethnicities had their own. They added money to a pot, and that was used in order to give um, healthcare to those groups. So you have things like the Italian Club. You have things like Club Asturiano uh, down in Ybor City and, and others that are somewhere around and, and some are gone uh, with time. So Cuban Revolution hits in 1868, like an old Cuban Revolution, not like the Fidel Castro yeah. one. And that's going to lead a very important thing. See, the revolution for independence in the 1860s is important. That's going to lead to Vicente Martinez Ybor, a Spanish immigrant that moved to Cuba, to leave and go to Key West. And Key West is where he's going to have in his original cigar-making industry, where he'll have uh, labor unrest, labor problems, because they want more money, they want to work less, you know, typical labor things. And he's going to wind up leaving Key West. A couple, couple of reasons why you would want to leave Key West at the time. Uh, one is there's, there's no natural water supply there. Oh. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, they got, like, they're surrounded by it, but it's all salt, right? Um, and the other thing is hurricanes. 
I was going to guess that. Yeah. Hurricanes are going to be a problem with distribution and, and, and work and, you know, the, the lives of the people are not going to be great because they really didn't have housing or the proper, you know, um, buildings uh, that could withstand a hurricane. So he's going to wind up leaving. Now, before he leaves, a couple of things that are important to the Florida during this time period. Agriculture, transportation, and of course, like I said before, water. Florida is a swamp. Florida has very big irrigation problems. And so we need civil engineers and we need water management in order to you know, uh, move water. That's going to really be a big uh, issue in the development of Florida as one of the largest and most populated states today. So agriculture first, you need fresh water. Florida's got a lot of fresh water. The Everglades are more brackish. You've got some salt water. You've got fresh water coming in from Lake Okeechobee and the north, right? Because water, I guess, flows north to south here in Florida. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is a partner of Vicente Ybor was looking for one thing. And we kind of started with it at the beginning here. Spices, oh, mangoes, or at least fruit. What? I know, I know. It wasn't, it wasn't a spice, but it was a mango. It was a fruit. They're looking for fruit. And so they come to Tampa. And at the mm -hmm. time, I know you're really good at population estimates. Oh, no. Right? We, know, <laughs> we know this. <laughs> at oh. the time, when Ebor is founded in 1885, what is the total population in Tampa of total amount of people? 700. 700 is right. That's a wow. great guess. You nailed it right from the beginning. Congratulations. Yay. 700 people in t I mean, that's like nothing, right? Yeah, that's nothing. Like, I think I've got 700 people in my, you know, fifth period class. <laughs> Hot, <laughs> dun -dun right? That's for you, fifth period. Um, so transportation. You know, how are we going to get people down here? Uh, one, uh, people are going to migrate to Ybor City. Cubans are going to come for the work. Afro-Cubans will come for the freedom and the work. You're also going to get Italian-American immigrants, specifically from Sicily, are going to be specifically uh, advertised to uh, uh, for work. A lot of Italians were coming actually from New Orleans and from Louisiana, from the sugarcane industry after, uh, after the Civil War. You know, slavery is gone and done, and Italian-Americans are coming in, or Italians are coming in, and they're moving now from the sugarcane industry and from Sicily to uh, Ybor City. So now you've got hey, this mix. Hey, those new immigrants. New, that's right. So Southern and Eastern Europe. Southern and Eastern Europe, that's right. There we go. Uh, we're all tying it all in. But what do you need to get these people here besides boats? Railroads. We need railroads. And so, of course, we're going to talk about Henry Flagler. Uh, yes, Henry Flagler, of course, as we know, was a partner in the Standard Oil Company. Not that mm -hmm. we had to know that, but we typically know him as railroads in Florida. He puts all his money into that. He's an entrepreneur in the 1860s in New York, and he partners with Rockefeller in 1867, and they form Standard Oil. Now, he kind of goes off on his own and kind of does his own uh, 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 puts his money in other places. You know, mm -hmm. Railroads are one of it, and the reason was pretty interesting. You know, he's married. He's got a wife. She becomes ill. Now, if you live in the north in the wintertime and you're ill, what is the doctor going to say to do? Go south. Go to Florida. Go south. Go to Florida. Medical resort for the rich people mm -hmm. is what Florida basically becomes. And he goes to Jacksonville. Now, he's not quite happy with Jacksonville in the wintertime because even Jacksonville in the wintertime, what might happen? Possibly snow. Possibly snow. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and freezes. And so he goes and creates his own resort hotel in Florida. In Jacksonville. And uh, isn't Flagler College near there? St. Augustine, right? Yeah, St. Augustine. And he invests in railroads, transportation. And so he advertises all across the East Coast um, as, as the American Riviera. 
you know, the South Florida. And South Florida at the time was basically anything south of St. Augustine. So like Daytona is what they were mm-hmm. talking about. The railroads that were going to go all the way down from Daytona to West Palm Beach. Now they stop at West Palm Beach and Flag was like, this is great. This is pretty much as far as I'll go. But what happens in the wintertime in West Palm Beach? Freezing rivers still in the wintertime. I didn't know that. Yeah. So he goes even further south to Miami. Like nobody lived in Miami except, of course, for the Seminoles we had talked about Mm -hmm. that lived in that area in the Everglades. And so he goes all the way to Miami. That becomes the terminus, the ending point, um, surrounded by water um, and, and not freezing. That's kind of the key. That railroad is going to be built, at least for Flagler, the East Coast. Now, we know Plant is going to mm-hmm. come across, right, come through Plant City into Tampa and create his own uh, hotels. Um, so this is going to be the real importance of Ybor City as to how it's able to develop. I mean, almost overnight, Ybor City becomes a main city, uh, is built up, and then Tampa, just a few years later, is going to incorporate Ybor City and we'll see become the uh, main point for the Spanish-American War, when well, that's uh, started up in the 1890s. Um, at the time, uh, cigar making, cigar manufacturing becomes the, the world, the, is world known. You know, uh, by the time we get to about 1900, Ybor City has kind of moved and uh, you've got some cigar factories um, breaking the, the labor because we had labor strikes with mm-hmm. Ybor City and moving to uh, the west side. So like West Tampa, where the International Plaza is and those areas, a lot of... Uh, uh, cigar making factories uh, were created there as well. So you got the city is expanding, you know, right. constantly. Um, and that's part of that increased population. Uh, and boom, uh, and, and how Ybor City, Flagler, plant is all interrelated. Agriculture. Industry. Industry and uh, transportation. Wow, you really did it all. That's pretty quick. We got that done pretty quick. Yeah. That's our frou frou for today. That's a lot of good information. That's a lot of information. Uh, but, you know, uh, relevant. The, that, relevant, those key times. You know, the only thing I would add would be, you know, we got to take a look at the Spanish American War and, mm-hmm. and how that relates to the bigger picture of Florida. Teddy Roosevelt is going to be the one who kind of leads the troops in Ybor City. He hangs out with his, uh, with his wife, and I think Kermit. I think Kermit, his son, is hanging out at the uh, Tam- Tampa Museum. Aww. It wasn't the museum at the time, the Tampa no. Hotel, right? Yeah. There you go. So that's it this time for Florida Fru Fru. Any, 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 thank you. Appreciate I it. I feel like you really put a, a lot into that. I put a lot into I had several sources. I looked at books, like real history books. Good. Yeah, and of course Wikipedia. Anyway, Florida. Wow. Right. Got to be real, you know? I'm always, I keep it 100. What? Okay. Yeah. Anything else to add, Miss Velasquez? I have nothing else to add. Nothing else. That's good. Uh, That's us, uh, our time here for Florida Fru Fru and the American Scuttlebutt podcast. Join us next time when we talk about the progressive era. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. We're going to get progressively better. Uh, (laughs) Not with these jokes. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Bye.